you have your Bible this morning, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 18 uh, this morning. As we conclude our, our series, Messy Christmas, that we began a few weeks ago uh, today, we're going to be talking about choices, specifically one choice or one decision in particular. In a very basic sense, life is kind of boiled down to it, a series of the choices that we make. You know, it starts from the very minute that you wake up in the morning, are you going to hit the snooze or like some kind of freak of nature, jump right out of bed ready to greet the day? Um, are you going to eat breakfast or, or, or skip it? Are you going to, uh, what are you going to eat if you choose to eat? I mean, even uh, the choices we make spiral off into more choices. You know, what are you going to wear? Are you going to put a lot of thought into it or are you going to wear something like Daniel wore this morning? You know, we have all kinds of choices on and on throughout the day. Uh, but not all choices that we make are as inconsequential. Some of the choices, you know, shape the scope of our entire lives. Uh, like where we go to, to college, if we go to college, who we will choose to marry, uh, what career path we will take. All of these things shape our lives in, in very powerful ways. And as we conclude our, our series, Messy Christmas, today, uh, I think the choice that we see made this morning falls into that second category, one that changes lives. And we're choosing to answer the question, making the choice of how we answer the question, who is Jesus? This morning we look at Matthew's gospel, his kind of classic Christmas story, uh, as he seeks to answer that very same question throughout his gospel, who is Jesus? And if you look at Matthew's gospel, though, if you've ever read it straight through, compared with other gospel writers, Matthew can be kind of hard to grasp, kind of difficult to understand his context. Uh, if you've read through the Gospels, you probably uh, were drawn in by John's simplicity and the, and the themes with which he draws about Jesus. Or maybe Mark's immediacy and the constant course of action throughout his Gospel. Or Luke's you know, painstaking attention to detail and the historicity uh, of his findings. But when it comes to Matthew's Gospel, it can be difficult to follow. And the reason that you might have experienced difficulty in reading his story is his very Jewish perspective, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel's history. You know, we look at Matthew and the case that he is making, the picture that he is painting of Jesus, is that Jesus is the Jewish king, the, the Messiah, bringing together God's plan for his people from the beginning of time. The, the difficulty comes in that from the concept of what a Messiah would be. Uh, even as a Jew, it would be difficult to understand and to boil down into just one definition what a Messiah is. There's so many different interpretations and schools of thought surrounding uh, this question as Jesus comes into our world of who the Messiah will be. It would be very similar to like asking in our day, what's your take on the economy? You know, there's almost as many answers as there are people. But even though not everyone would agree on who the Messiah would be, there were a few expectations that had been outlined uh, in God's story of, of roles that the Messiah would fulfill. And the first one was that he would be a king from the line, the lineage of David. David had been promised because of his faithfulness to God, because he was a man after God's own heart, he had been promised an everlasting dynasty. 2 Samuel 7.16, God tells him, "'Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever.'" And so the expectation is that as God brings his Messiah into the world, as Israel's ultimate king, the Messiah would sit on the throne of Israel's greatest king. Second, we see that it was told that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was David's birthplace, and so it makes sense that he would come from where David was born. But most importantly, it was understood that the Messiah would be a deliverer. 
Many people expected him to be a political deliverer, a king that would kind of reconstruct this kingdom of David. Ever since Israel's subjugation to their enemies in Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, people had been looking, the hope had been, that a military commander would come to liberate them, to save them from their foreign oppressors that resulted from their sin and idolatry and rebellion. And so as Matthew writes about Jesus, we see him write about this Messiah seeking to affirm some of the popular expectations and seeking to deny others. But these three tenets, that he would be born in David's line, born in Bethlehem, and that he would be a deliverer, are things that all had to apply to this Messiah. But before Matthew gets to Jesus, he has to talk about someone else for a little bit in his Christmas story. Someone who by many would be considered kind of a a minor character in Jesus' life, in, in the Christmas story. Most of the time, minor characters aren't really that important. In the shows we watch, or the movies we watch, sometimes there's just extras to fill out the, theme, the, the, the scene or the background. Or, or uh, if you're in a smaller setting, maybe you have these minor characters to give everyone a part. Uh, when I was in second grade, we had a, a Christmas play, and I, all I wanted to be in this play was I wanted to be an elf. And the elves had all the glory. They got the the foam pointy ears, and they got to tinker with toys, and they got the show-stopping, show-stealing, stalling, you know, an elf. That was the cool kids. That was where it was at. I didn't get to be an elf. I had to be a hollyberry. And you know what a hollyberry does? Nothing. You stand there, and you look like a berry. That was my role. And so at first glance, Joseph, the Jesus' earthly father, in this minor character role, looks, looks to be a, a minor character, looks to be a hollyberry in the, in the book of Matthew's scope, in the, in the scope of his gospel. He's only mentioned in the first two chapters, and though he's with Mary, he's not even Jesus' you know, actual biological father. Uh, you might even think that if Joseph were kind of cut out of the Christmas story, it would look pretty much the same. But even though Joseph is a minor character, he plays a major part. And we see that begin to unfold in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. He says, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a child, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. As Matthew starts out this story, he speaks of the birth of Jesus. Literally, this word is Genesis, which we see in the beginning of our Bibles. There's this sense of a new story happening, a new creation coming, that all begins with this girl named Mary and this man named Joseph. And it should have been an exciting time for these two. They were engaged. They were pledged to be married. You would have expected Joseph to take the time to, to find the perfect ring and, and find the, the best moment to get down on one knee and, and pledge his love and devotion to Mary, which would begin this whirlwind of wonder, of wedding planning, taking engagement pictures, staring lovingly into each other's eyes with ecstasy and merriment, uh, this beginning of wedded bliss. But that's not exactly what it would have looked like for Mary and Joseph. 
Jewish engagement was different uh, from the way that we do engagement. And although not officially married, Joseph and Mary would have been considered spouses. Joseph would have been called Mary's husband. Because for Jews, an engagement was binding. It was a commitment, a covenant. Uh, the, the families would meet together. A bride price would be set. This, this gift that was to be brought uh, to the bride's family. And the future husband would return home uh, to raise the money to offer to her family uh, and to prepare a home for them to live in, in their family home. There was no this idea, you know, I want my ring back and you go your separate ways. This was a relationship entered into that could only be ended by death, divorce, or an affair. And so this groom would return to his fiance after about a year, and they would have their wedding ceremony, they would consummate their union, and they would go to live in their home together. For all intents and purposes, Joseph and Mary were together forever at this point. There's only one problem. Matthew so gracefully says it. He says, Mary was found to be with child. I looked into the Greek this week, and, and the exact wording there is, whoop, there it is. You know, this is a big deal. Uh, Mary had been hiding this pregnancy for some time under loose clothing, but uh, the time had come where that clothing is beginning to tighten. There's no hiding this. And so Joseph has a decision to make. And this is where things get messy. Because for Joseph, the, the proper role, the right role, were for, for him to deny his involvement and he has two options to do so. One is a, a publicly humiliating trial, a, a course that Mary has to go through that could result in, in punishment for her. Or it could be just a quiet certificate of divorce in front of a couple of witnesses. Matthew tells us that Joseph is faithful to the law. Other translations say that he is a righteous man. And traditionally, we think that this indicates that Joseph is full of mercy and compassion, and he is. But what it's really saying is that he is careful to keep the law. We would say he is morally upright, the kind of guy that shouldn't be involved in this type of thing. And so Joseph was righteous. He, he followed the law, had a desire to do what the law called him to do. The law that said Mary should be divorced or disgraced because of her action. But even though Joseph is righteous, he didn't want to do that to Mary. Despite the hurt and betrayal he, he must have felt of knowing that she was pregnant with someone else's baby, it was enough for Joseph just to end it quietly. But then Joseph has a dream. And even though we often view dreams as just kind of random pieces of, of our subconscious coming through in our sleep, for Joseph, this dream was different. And in it, he learns a couple of things. He learns that Mary wasn't unfaithful. This pregnancy is not a result of infidelity, but from the Holy Spirit. And that as she's going to have this baby boy, Joseph is to name him Jesus, because he will be Emmanuel. Now, the fact that Joseph is to name Jesus always kind of seemed to me like a, like a consolation prize. You know, Joseph, we know this is not the plan that you had. Everything is, you know, turned upside down, but at least you get to pick his name. But the name Jesus, you know, wasn't in particular a special name. It just means God saves. And with almost every Jew looking for God to save them from their oppression, he would have hardly been the only Jesus at Nazareth Elementary School. But the naming of Jesus brings an important element to the story this morning, maybe the most important element of the story. You see, the angel actually gives two names. To name him Jesus, which means God saves, and to call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These two names together would tell us exactly why Jesus came. Jesus, God saves, tells us what he does. 
And Emmanuel, God with us, tells us who he is. But more than just a name, naming Jesus is important for another reason. Because it is Joseph's decision whether or not to name the baby that makes him a minor character with a major impact. For Joseph to name the baby is to accept him and adopt him as his own. And that doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's one of the biggest deals of the Christmas story. When we look at who the Messiah is, who he must be, those things that we talked about, that he would be from the line of David, that he would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be a deliverer for the people. Those are promises that God had made of what the Messiah would be. God had promised that the Messiah would come from the line of David. Literally, he would be a son of David. And yet there's only one other person in the entirety of Matthew's gospel called son of David, other than Jesus. And we see it right there in verse 20, when the angel says, Joseph, son of David. You see, it is Joseph and not Mary that comes from the line of David. It is Joseph who is the son of David, an heir to the royal dynasty of Judah. And so if Joseph hadn't named Jesus and taken him as his own, Jesus would not be the anointed king from the line of David and therefore would not be the Messiah that God had intended. And this is important because in that case, God's promises would go unfulfilled. His faithfulness would be challenged. His people would be left waiting. History, in a very real way, hinges on the balance of Joseph's decision about Jesus. Joseph has a choice. To take Mary as his wife and adopt this child within her as his own. Or he can go through with his plan to divorce her and have nothing to do with this baby that isn't his, bringing God's plans for his son as a Messiah to a screeching halt. And I want to pause here because it's not just Joseph that has a choice of what to do with Jesus. Like Joseph, we all have a choice of how we approach Jesus, what we do with Jesus. As we go through the Gospels, we are faced over and over, time and time again, with decisions that must be made about who Jesus is. That we can choose to study who he is, to, to model what he does, to obey what he teaches, to believe his promises, to submit to what he desires, or not. Now, of course, most of us, by virtue of being in this room this morning, say that we choose Jesus. We probably wouldn't be here otherwise. But I'm afraid that much of the time, what we are tempted to choose isn't Jesus as much as it is a cheap imitation, a, a caricature of Jesus. You've seen caricatures before, the things you go to at an amusement park and you sit down and that guy draws you and maybe your, your, your person with you, your, maybe your brother or sister, or your wife or your husband, and, and you get that picture and your head is all big and your features are exploded or diminished or distorted. That There's this idea that it kind of looks like you, but it's a little bit different. We have a lot of common caricatures of Jesus, too. One of my favorites I see going around Facebook all the time, I think my grandma shares it like three times a week, uh, is this one. Uh, It says, I bet you won't share this because you're too embarrassed to have Jesus on your wall. Um, The problem is not so much that I'm embarrassed of Jesus. The problem is that this is a picture of Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars. This is not a picture of Jesus. And so we have these caricatures of Jesus that look good on the surface, but when you dig deep down... They don't look like the Jesus that we know. Caricatures like, you know, handsome Jesus, the, the Jesus that looks like he just walked off the cover of GQ. 
He's got the perfect hair and the nice, even teeth, the, the white complexion, and he always seems to be glowing somehow. And his robes are bleached perfectly white. He's got the baby blue slash. This Jesus doesn't associate with the sick and the disease. He doesn't want to get his hands messy like that. He might mess up his manicure. And he's got the message, you know, everything will be all right. If you follow me, you'll have no problems. You'll look perfect. You'll be cool. You'll get the, the nice wife or husband, a perfect kid. You'll never lose your job. You'll have a beautiful home. And if you ever fail to have these things, well, just blame me for not holding up my end of the bargain. We have caricatures like vending machine Jesus. You know, put in some church attendance, some giving, a few prayers, and, you know, you can push B6, the good life. Or put in some volunteer hours and, and, and some Bible study. And you get G7, cheap grace. Or maybe most, you know, probably this time of year, we have the caricature of baby Jesus, which isn't so much a caricature as it just is exploding a single snapshot of Jesus' life and the entirety of who he is and why he came. You know, little eight-pound, six-ounce baby Jesus for my Ricky Bobby fans, you know, that we want around Christmas time that's so nice and, and cozy. You know, how many people view Jesus this way, particularly around Christmas? You know, we want to survey him and, and sing songs about him and celebrate him with gifts and decorations, but true, few, uh, truly want, few truly want to engage with him. That's the reason you have music stars like CeeLo Green can uh, sing a song that reaches number one called F.U., uh, literally the F word in the title of the song. It goes on to reach number one, only for him later in the year to sing Mary, Did You Know? And no one has a problem with baby Jesus in the manger or in his mother's arms, because he's so safe. He's so fragile. He's so non-confrontational. But what we see through these caricatures of Jesus is that Jesus places a greater demand on our lives than just casual observance. The God who came down must be taken hold of and wrestled with and passionately pursued if we are to hope to experience the fullness of what he offers. Jesus didn't come to be admired. Jesus came to change everything, including our hearts and our souls and our minds and the strengths that we have. And to accept anything else than the Jesus that we see in the Gospels, the true Jesus, is to accept a cheap imitation. You see, the truth of the matter is that everyone wants Jesus as Savior, but few want him as Lord. Jesus, you can rule and reign in my life. You can be my Lord, be my master, as long as you do so on the areas that I approve. You can be my Lord and my master, but not of my finances. You can be my Lord or my master, but not of my sexuality. You can be my Lord or my master, but not of my temper. You can be the master of my life where I want you to be and where I'm comfortable with. And so each of us, like Joseph, has a choice of what to do with Jesus. Will we study who he is and obey what he calls us to, to choose to accept him for who he really is, accept him as master and God, or not? This was Joseph's choice. Verse 24 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. You see, it would have been easy for Joseph to walk away. Easy for him to dismiss this dream, this angel's message, as the random musings of a tired mind. 
But instead, he acted by faith that this was from God and that it was true. And so I think what we find from Joseph's example is that when you choose Jesus, you could be choosing to change the world. I know you're probably thinking that sounds a little dramatic. It's something I expect a preacher to say, but come on, that's a little much. But if you look at Joseph, he probably didn't think that he was doing anything spectacular. He was just naming the baby boy of his fiancée. But because he chose to make that decision about Jesus, Jesus became the Messiah sitting on the throne of David. God's promises were fulfilled, and it changed the world. Now, I know that we don't all have the opportunity to adopt and name the Messiah, but we do all have the opportunity to choose to be like Jesus, to choose to pray for our enemies instead of curse them, and in so doing that we could change the world. To turn the other cheek instead of strike back could change the world. To serve others instead of serving ourselves could change the world. To deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow him and put what we want to death will change the world. And so this morning, with every Sunday morning, the sermon ends with a choice. You can call it an invitation, you can call it an altar call, you can call it a decision, whatever you want to call it. The choice remains that it's ultimately a decision to make. But it's not a decision just to be made once. It's a decision to be made out and lived every, every day, a, a way of life. A constant pursuit of our master choosing to live as his disciples. And so this morning, my invitation and encouragement is a simple one. I encourage you to make a choice about Jesus. And to not make a choice is making a choice. Maybe it's a first-time decision choosing to pledge your allegiance to him as Lord and Savior. Maybe it's a renewed fervor to live for him differently. To begin to pursue him in a new way, looking and seeking to look like Jesus. To dismiss and discard the caricatures, the cheap imitations of him, and to pursue him for who he really is. Whatever the choice, when we come face-to-face with Jesus, we must make a decision. And when we choose to make a decision about Jesus, we might just be choosing to change the world. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for sending him into our world. In such an amazing way, this messy, spectacular way that we learn so much about who he is and why he came just by the nature of his coming. And God, we look at our world around us and we see people who offer us the caricature of Jesus, a cheap imitation. A Jesus who has no demand on our lives, who has no qualms about the way we choose to live. A Jesus who is an easy savior but we have no interest in him as Lord. And so God, my prayer this Christmas season is that we would not leave Jesus in the manger, but we would wrestle with the man that he would become, the man who challenges us and challenges the preconceived notions we have about who you are, God, and shows us the true way to you. God, I pray that we would wrestle with Jesus, and, and as we study him, wrestle with the challenges he sets before us so that we might know you in a greater way. And in so doing, we would make a choice to pursue him with our entire lives.
God, we thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place and to be raised to new life. And in choosing to trust that in faith, we have the opportunity to live eternally with you. God, it's my prayer that this Christmas season we would choose Jesus for who he is and we would be radically changed and poised to change the world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.